Welcome to Tracklisting, the podcast where a musician, a comedian, and a painter review old soundtracks for some reason. This is Nick. This is Chris. And this is Caleb. And this week, it's my pick. Uh, We are picking a soundtrack that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, Maybe one of the earliest soundtracks I remember owning. Uh, I had it on vinyl somehow. This is a movie that came out when I was three years old. And um, I don't know when I saw it. Maybe I was five. Uh, we were reviewing the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack. Yeah. Right. All right. Very exciting. Yeah. It's been on the docket for a while, I think. Yeah. Yeah. This is, like I said, I had the record. I remember, <laughs> I really think that I watched the movie and then somebody got me the record, which uh, for rated R film, the the timeline doesn't really work out, but uh <laughs> it's it's a movie that i love a soundtrack that i love and also a soundtrack i haven't listened to in its entirety for a long time and so i was actually pretty excited to do this yeah i own this soundtrack as well i cannot find where it is i have some vinyl that's like gone missing sometime and uh my stint in brooklyn i think it got packed up in a box somewhere and it maybe never made it but the, the girlfriend's been doing some editing <laughs> oh maybe <laughs> i just threw this one Uh-oh. out yeah <laughs> Yeah, I definitely had this song like burned on CDs as a kid. Oh, yeah. But um haven't seen the movie in a little while and rewatching it uh, last night was uh, very enjoyable. Yeah. Great it's movie. A, it's a streaming right now on HBO Max. If HBO anybody Max. wants to check it out. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, let's jump into the first track. Let's do it. You guys ready? Let's track go. one. This is Patty LaBelle with New Attitude. patty labelle yeah <laughs> this is a classic track i was i should say at the top of this episode i was a little bit surprised and disappointed at how few of the songs actually appear in the movie um for oh actually for a pretty short soundtrack and i think maybe because i had the record as a kid i just uh i for some reason remember everything being in the movie <laughs> and it's oh my not god it's just the beverly hills cop theme the entire <laughs> yeah, movie yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a lot of score. <laughs> it's really like the first maybe quarter of the movie is like packed with uh, some real jams, and then yeah. it's then it's all uh, it's all the score, which um, for a normal score would probably be like a huge letdown. But this is um, you know spoiler maybe one of my favorite scores of all time. So uh, so it's not that bad. But uh, for the purposes of this episode, it might be a little bit cumbersome. But uh, yeah, won a Grammy. Yeah. It won a Grammy best for score. best score. This uh, this song is in the movie, though, correct? Mm-hmm. This is uh, when Axel and uh, Mikey, his buddy, who is broken into his apartment, Mikey Tandino, uh, <laughs> they're drinking at that pool hall, um, which is a really sweet scene. Um, he's like, Axel Pole is like, how come you never ratted me out? Like, I guess that you you find out they were all like, you know, crime buddies in high school or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I never ratted you out, man. You don't know. I love you, man. <laughs> You're like, oh, bros. <laughs> bros. Yeah. This, uh, yeah. So the movie, the movie 
has like a funny dichotomy that especially sets up at the beginning. It's probably <laughs> kind of reminds me of like the first half of Shaun of the Dead, mm-hmm. uh, where it starts with like the intro of Detroit as like a, a decrepit hellhole. Oh my! The shots of Detroit. <laughs> I was like, and it's, it's gotten worse. Yeah, too. it's gotten way worse. <laughs> this but is, uh, I think in 80s... In <laughs> they were the, still making cars there at the time. Like, it's really bad. Yeah. Uh, in the 80s, I think there was kind of a cultural obsession in the United States about the, the kind of the fall of Detroit as like, a, you know, Detroit used to be the epicenter of like American industry. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of like, I think it was maybe a little bit, I mean, and the city was in, in shambles in a lot of ways, but I think that it was... Uh, a dagger to like the cultural like uh epicenter of of america and and the fact that you know the auto industry was being uh eclipsed by i guess japanese automotive companies yeah there was a real um push-pull sort of thing with um japanese automakers at the time Um, that's why we yeah we got the movie gung-ho i don't know if you remember that uh i remember the movie collision course with jay leno and pat morita oh i was i was doing the michael keaton (laughs) oh oh, yeah (laughs) i don't know if you remember that You guys are Patti LaBelle fans. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, right. Sounds a jam. Uh, I think like a lot of the artists on here, we are maybe going to experience some of their kind of, I would say like mid-career, uh, you know, a lot of like um, like big 70s, 60s and 70s artists that are having their like transition into um, 80s kind of, uh, I'd say like synth, uh, synthy, you know, pop, soul, whatever you want. What, what, what yeah. would you call this mu- music? I would say like early synth pop. Yeah, we're like early into Patti LaBelle's solo career at this kind point, like and she made she was synth, brought on synth R and B, uh, kind of before like New Jack. And this is you know maybe some of the more successful attempts at it. I mean, I think that a lot of these songs of Patti LaBelle, these are probably some of her most successful songs. Yeah, this, these uh, Patti LaBelle was brought on to do two songs for the movie: this yeah. new attitude and uh, another song we'll hear a little bit later called "Stir It Up." Mm-hmm. And these were uh, both crossover hits for her and kind of helped establish her as a uh, as a pop artist because she was kind of known for doing uh more ballads before this yeah and yeah. um great music videos for these songs too from patty labelle <laughs> very 80s uh, she goes into like a high-end clothing store with like a kind of an out-of-date look and she gets a makeover and comes out with a new attitude nice yeah <laughs> i think it's debatable whether the early 80s were kind of a a zenith or an acme for like uh for culture uh but it's definitely it, it, whether a high point or a low point is definitely uh, pushing the boundaries of some sort of uh uh cultural taste and i think that it's kind of a fun thing to revisit i would say going back to my uh the thing about the intro to this movie in that we're seeing the terrible uh detroit where like, apparently i guess young criminals either become old criminals or cops and then it's it's later like uh, a lot of the same intro shots are like mirrored in like the beautiful Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty funny. I I guess yeah. We'll talk about that more as we go. Maybe we should jump into the second track. Sure. Let's hear some track two. This is Shalimar with "Don't Get Stopped in Beverly Hills." You see the
may be the first time we're hearing from Shalimar on Track Listing Podcast, which is uh, maybe exciting. I know that Shalimar kind of was returning to the charts in 1984 with uh, Dancing in the Streets from Footloose. Yeah. And um, watched a music video of them performing this song. And, you know, they're kind of known as being fashion icons for their you know, in their heyday. And, uh, I can't really find the right word to describe their outfits, but it's kind of like a, like synth pirate. <laughs> a lot of cheetah print. Yeah, a lot there. of cheetah. That- <laughs> a lot of sequence. Uh, very princey, you know, kind yeah. of style. Yeah. Shalimar is a band. I'll always remember if you talk about the, the moonwalk, you know, which is like a huge eighties, uh, you know, icon, the moonwalk. It's, a lot of people say that the... For the, the listeners at home, Caleb, what's the uh, moonwalk? The moonwalk is a signature dance of Michael Jackson, but a lot of people will trace it back. It's roots. Um, people will say that people have been moonwalking uh, in America for decades and decades, I think. Yeah. Since like people are doing the Charleston. Yeah, you know, yeah. Also like <laughs> like yeah. one of the earliest uh, filmed examples, I think, was in the 50s, a guy named Bill Bailey, uh, like a performer, dancer, doing a moonwalk. I, I can't remember what he called it. There was like some other name for it. But I remember Shalimar, uh, an interesting band, one of, uh, kind of reminds me of Public Enemy in that they had members of the band, kind of quote unquote the band, they were just dancers. They would employ dancers as like part of their show. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a dancer who was doing the moonwalk. Probably, I think that they performed the moonwalk on television a couple years before Michael Jackson did at the, there was a famous, it was like the Motown 25 show, right? When, oh, uh, Yes. And um, so, you know, uh, the idea of it being an original thing is kind of ridiculous, like the first person to like jump or something. But uh, I think that Shalimar scooted backwards before (laughs) Shalimar, I I think, definitely has a right to be aggrieved uh, for being kind of uh, erased from the history of the moonwalk. And I think that they probably in modern culture were the first moonwalkers. Well, they, thank you, Caleb. Hi- history proved them um, to to be the more popular of the two. I think <laughs> Shalimar. Are you guys not yeah. <laughs> huge Shalimar fans? Shalimar are like they're not a forgotten band. I'll no, say that. That's uh, we haven't had them on the podcast before, uh, but they are not a forgotten '80s band. They're pretty, you know, pretty relevant, uh, minor, you know, medium relevant '80s uh, R&B pop band. Yeah, it's a lot of the. I mean, we're going to hear from a few more bands in a similar wavelength, but I feel like 82 through 86, these bands sort of ruled uh, ruled the earth. And I, I came into them uh, ironically. Like, I started listening <laughs> to these songs. I was like, these are cheesy and silly. And now I just enjoy them. <laughs> like, I can't, yeah, now you're a huge fan. I just, I love it, man. I can't, I can't get it up. A lot of the people that worked on, you know, music at this time are kind of in the same lexicon. So you've got a lot of the same players and uh, yeah. engineers working on all this stuff. Like uh, the Patti LaBelle song. Uh, one of the songwriters, Sharon Robinson, wrote some of the music for Pointer Sisters, who we may hear from oh, yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. Um, one thing about the Shalimar song, I don't believe it appears in the film. It does not. And uh, it also seems like they didn't uh, maybe read the entire brief on the Beverly Hills Cop uh, like soundtrack that they were contributing to, because um, yeah. one of one of the main points of the film is that um, you you shouldn't be afraid of getting stopped in Beverly Hills because uh, the police there are super nice and uh, seem to operate by the book. Interesting, oh. you say that. Interesting, you say that. So nicest looking police station yeah, also yeah. in beverly hills i think i've ever seen it's yeah. like a college campus it looks like a, 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 a 
it looks like a stage from GoldenEye or something. <laughs> Doesn't it look like <laughs> yeah. one of those? I read that they, they right. didn't get permission to uh, obviously like film in the. They had to. That was a set that they created that was based on something else. Yeah, but, mo- uh, most of this was filmed in Pasadena because yeah. they couldn't film after ten thirty. Oh, you can tell. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Michael Eisner got stopped in. Um, God, I think in the sixties, and. Uh, it inspired him to want to make a movie about cops in Beverly Hills. And the cops who, who pulled him over were insulting his old car that he drove. <laughs> and he's just like, who are these asshole cops? Uh, and then he realized like, oh man, Beverly Hills, like LA, the ultimate status is your car. So I have to get a better car. So he went out and bought like a Mercedes the next day. And then he sort of kept his eye out for a film or a screenplay that uh, epitomized that, and then he finally ah. found this one. Um, There's that line when like Eddie Murphy later. meets up with his friend, you know, and she's like, "You still driving that old like Chevy Nova?" Yeah, he's yeah. like, or, yeah. Hmm. "No, no." She's yeah. like, "Oh, man, I remember when when I was in Detroit, you were driving this piece of shit Chevy Nova." He's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm still driving that." Car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember. There's there's kind of an iconic uh, cover to this soundtrack, and and I guess to the VHS, which is uh, Axel Foley. Uh, we should say Eddie Murphy sitting on top of this red Mercedes convertible. Yeah. And I, in, in my memory, I think I was conflating um, this with its sequel. Cause in the sequel in Detroit, he has like a Ferrari for some reason, a red Ferrari. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's his friend. It's the gallery manager's car. Yeah. Jenny Summers. Who he, I don't think he ever gets to drive. <laughs> no, no. He asks and she's like, Nope. She's like, ah, like yeah. so. Uh, um, so I moved to New York City uh, from the West Coast, and uh, <laughs> there's a thing they do in this movie that's pretty funny. Where at the beginning of the film, and we'll we'll return to this later, but uh, he's uh, Axel Foley's working undercover, and some Detroit cops like come upon him, and they're these like big like uh, fat piece of shit cops. <laughs> and then uh when he gets pulled over or when he gets arrested for the first time in beverly hills it's like uh the cops look like like actors they look like really good shape like beautiful hair nice here (laughs) and it it was kind of the opposite like uh where i come from i'm not gonna say cops are good looking but cops like kind of look like like these beverly hills cops they're like in good shape and like well-fitting uniforms and when i moved to new york city you know, especially there's a lot of police in New York no, City. New York City is the most out of shape police force. It's, so it's fat, just and it's like terrible. the uniforms look fake. Like everybody looks like a fucking security guard or something. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like buttons popping off. <laughs> it's it's like, overweight. It's bizarre. They're out, everybody has like fucking milkshake in their hands. Yeah, <laughs> man. It's like none of them live in New York City. Is the thing <laughs> they're all driving in from like Staten Island. And <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's, it's a gross. union thing. I don't know if it's a union thing. I, I think that they're stricter pro protocols to be like a on the beat in a lot of cities but in new york city there's a strong policeman's union and i think you can just get away with being just a big old dude yeah where i'm from and with probably the same for chris uh you know you get pulled over on the highway by a cop and he's definitely sporting a cowboy hat mm-hmm. cowboy boots mm-hmm. state Depends. troopers state troopers for sure yeah uh, big belt buckle and they're you know i think cal Canane has that uh funny bit about like they're shaking their heads when they pull you over it's like i can't believe what a asshole yeah. i'm about to be to this person <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh, i'm gonna get you yeah <laughs> all right maybe we should jump into the third track i was just thinking about gary Busey and uh fear and loathing <laughs> yeah he's like basically playing one of those cops and he's like can i just have one kiss yeah just give me a kiss 
<laughs> but yeah, let's hear some of uh, track number three. This is Junior with Do You Really? Parentheses, Want My Love. This is a this is not like a hugely remarkable song, but I I have to say I really love the production and yeah. like the the plucky guitar playing. It's definitely got some like David Frank sounding programming, who was the uh, uh, production guy for the system that oh, we okay. might hear from later. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think he may have been involved. Yeah, I love the sounds of all. The, I mean, all these songs have like such unique synth sounds that haven't really been reused. You yeah, know, yeah. since I guess it's all. Uh, what's what do you think the synthesizer they were using back then would have been, Nick? Well, this is like 1984. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Roland's Juno series was out around this time, so yeah. it's like the hot new poly synth. Maybe yeah, like an original Juno or Juno Six. Yeah, I remember I did read that uh, one of the songs we'll get to later, the Axel Foley theme, uh, employed three different uh, models of synths. So I think people, people weren't shy or reserved about their synth use in 1984. It was God, a lot of yeah. like... <laughs> I think Harold Faltemeyer, who did uh, Axel F, which is basically the Beverly Hills Cop theme, uh, was brought on to do a score sometime in the past 10 years and uh i think it was kevin smith's cop buddy movie oh yeah i remember they it's shot that in like my cop neighborhood out? cop out they, yeah uh, cop oh out. my god i forgot about they that shot one. it in greenpoint they shut down my street and uh <laughs> it was filming under the working title a uh, couple of dicks oh okay and our uh one of a friend of ours we were out drinking and we we were trying to get back to our apartment and uh the the pas like stopped us they wouldn't let us mm-hmm. onto our own street and everybody was kind of, you know, tempers were hot. Yeah. I think Kevin's and, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> and our friend was like, what are you, what are you filming? What are you even filming here? And the guy's like, looks at him straight in the eye. And it was a couple of dicks. And our friend was like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> and we went back to the apartment. He's like, I'm going to go, ah, I'm going to go down there. That guy. And I was like doing a little bit of Google. And I was like, no, no, uh, that's what the movie is called. Working like, title. It's <laughs> amazing, but yeah, I didn't know that uh, Faltermeyer did he did he end up actually doing the music for that or did it? Uh, he did, but okay. I think Kevin Smith wanted him to do like a all analog style score, like he did for this movie, mm-hmm. and the studio was a little hesitant to have like a totally you know what they were calling a vintage sound happening. So <laughs> Faltermeyer in the studio with Kevin Smith kind of like did some back and forth where he kind of like kept like the the main piece of that happening but came up with a little bit more modern elements to make like the studio happy huh. did it sound all right i haven't heard it i think it was all right yeah i mean you know he's done a lot of music for different movies he did um the theme for fletch and yeah. he did like the theme for top gun and uh yeah. some other movies yeah I've, okay fletch and this movie i feel like have a lot of crossover in that like Every one of my dad's friends, you know, when I was like a teenager, he's like, oh, you're going to love, you're going to love Beverly Hills Cop. Trust me, you're going to love it. And then like, I didn't get around to that and Fletch. 
Fletch is the funniest movie you've ever seen. <laughs> funniest movie in the world. Funniest movie in the world. And like, oh, Beverly Hills Cop is the funniest movie you've ever seen. And then like, you know, when I watched it as like a high schooler, I was like, what the fuck? Is this? <laughs> like, Are you oh, dude. I, I've never seen Fletch. I, uh, Fletch uh, is pretty good. I, Fletch is, and the, the, I'm not the biggest Chevy Chase guy. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's actually based on like a novel. I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty watchable. Yeah. Uh, the Fletch theme, I should say, is so similar to the XLF theme. Yes, I, I have that soundtrack as well. I, I will say, Fletch, I didn't quite get. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop, I liked it a lot better. Fletch, it, it's the humor that I feel like you didn't have to make movies that funny back then, I feel. Uh, <laughs> and like, true. you know, humor ages pretty quickly. I did not understand what Chevy Chase was going for. Like, he would do these, like, oh, he's like a master of disguise. He wears, like, funny teeth and says, like, <laughs> a couple of weird words that people don't normally say. And, like, that's that was it. And I was just used to more, like, in-your-face, like, stuff. So I think the subtlety of it kind of threw me for a loop. Um, but I, I was expecting to kind of, uh, <laughs> cause I, I watched Fletch, uh, recently again and I thought it sucked. And then, uh, <laughs> I was expecting to have the same reaction to Beverly mm-hmm. Hills Cop, but I didn't. I, yep. I was, I thought it was very charming. Beverly uh, Hills Cop is very good. I fear that we might be getting off track a little bit. <laughs> well, you did, you did say that the, the theme from Fletch, which I haven't heard is very similar to this. I did see in some Faltermeyer interview where he was kind of, if he was like commiserating about that, but the interviewer was like, how did you get into basically just scoring all like buddy cop movies yeah. or like movies with a male lead? And he's like, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that happened where you like you do the first one and it takes off and all of a sudden then you're the guy. And I just kind of have like a handful of rhythms and melodies in the back of my mind. And it all kind of is just like becomes one universe. Yeah, man. Don't rock the boat. If it's working, exactly. keep turning them out. Yeah. <laughs> we should say this is actually one of the few songs I believe it's in the movie. This is maybe during the pool hall scene it is, again. It is during the pool hall We're scene. We're still in Detroit. <laughs> Mikey Tandino. Uh, he has <laughs> stolen some uh, what, Prussian francs or something. No, they're, like, they're uh, the bonds. German bearer bonds. Deu- Deutschmark bonds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is seems to be like a hot item that would be difficult to move. If you, if Dude, uh, between, the, between this film really? and uh, Trading Places, a lot of my understanding of the financial systems of the world are based on uh, <laughs> Eddie Murphy films. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this is a, you know, a song just playing in the background. But uh, what is your impression? Eddie Murphy and his friend, do they seem the same age? <laughs> Uh, Eddie Murphy is insanely young in this movie, right? Like pretty, pretty he's young. like 23 or something. And Mikey Tandino <laughs> is probably like four. I mean, he's been, he's been in the can. So you got to give him, you know, <laughs> hard years, hard years, but he looks, Does he look to be younger, 40. older than me right now. The man sitting across the table from you. He looks older. He okay. looks, he, he's pushing 50 in this Caleb's, movie. Caleb for the record. I didn't notice it old. too much while watching the movie, <laughs> but um interestingly enough so we, we might be able to get into this later but uh you know sylvester stallone uh was first tapped for beverly hills cop do you guys know that i well i've read uh that there was it was a movie that was percolating for a long time i think that maybe mickey rourke was originally involved yeah there's many like reworkings but i think uh sly was like actually attached yeah and dropped out weeks before production there's a bunch of stories we'll 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 definitely get into it later but mikey tandino in the original script was um sylvester stallone's brother Mm -hmm. and uh i'm glad they kept the same actor 
uh, which was nice. He didn't get totally cut. Uh, but I got a little bit. I got a, a trivia question for you right here. What's up? Um, Sylvester Stallone's character. Do you know the first, the full name of his character in Beverly Hills Cop? What Sylvester Stallone's character was going to be named? Yeah, yeah. So Eddie Murphy is Axel, Axel Foley. Foley. He was going to be like, I don't know. <laughs> Axel Cobretti. <laughs> Axel Cobretti? Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, because his he, name was actually Cobra. <laughs> yeah, I know that he used, like, basically, he used this experience and, like, he did some rewrites on the. He was like, he's not going to be funny. People don't. <laughs> it's not working for me if he's funny. And so he used all, like, the stuff that he wrote that the studio didn't like uh, to make Cobra two years later. Yeah, yeah. And that movie is garbage. <laughs> but you can, but you like, knowing that, you can look at Cobra and you're like, oh yeah, this is what he wanted Beverly Hills Cop to be. He's like, no, instead of a bad car, you should have like a cool car. Like a, like a 50s souped up car. <laughs> instead of being funny, he should just kill people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, uh, the general like pitch of this is that a, uh, <laughs> A detective from Detroit who is essentially like a reformed con man who's like still maybe just a con man mm-hmm. uh, goes to Beverly Hills to seek justice, uh, whereas Sylvester Stallone would have been like a psychopathic, like murderous cop. Yeah, we got to bring in the big guns. Goes to, to Beverly, the- Kill- Beverly Hills and just murders a bunch of people on the West Coast. Yeah, <laughs> no street smarts with Stallone. No. <laughs> And I think it also maybe he was supposed to uh, be like a Pittsburgh cop or something. I can't remember. That makes sense. Uh, but, but yeah, they, they totally rewrote a lot of it for um, Eddie Murphy, and uh, and he was able to ad lib a lot of stuff. You can see some like improv lines, oh, yeah. cracking everybody up on the set. No, but, it, um, it it like saves a movie. Yeah. I mean, I, it probably would have been a fine movie. Yeah, but it's it's something that I think I talk about maybe way too much lately, where every movie now has been punched up to like such a degree that there's no straight men. That's what I, that's what I'm kind of referring to. And that like, when I watched this as a kid, I was like, this isn't that funny. <laughs> like, I think, you know what I mean? But, I think that it's so funny. Cause like, uh, for example, like I remember talking to a friend of mine about the, uh, guardians of the galaxy sequel. Mm-hmm. And the, even the first movie, like every, it's pretty wacky, but in the sequel it's like, everybody has a joke like every line bad guys like no it's like is it are we supposed to understand that the universe is filled with a bunch of wisecracking idiots and nobody cares about anything everybody is so goddamn funny in every movie you watch now it's insane yeah it's it's like it's such a weird remove from like the world and so like just re-watching a film from the 80s where it's like everybody is like seems you know they don't it's not it doesn't seem like real life but everybody is in a serious world and if one person is funny it's so much funnier Mm -hmm. in my mind yeah yeah anyways we should go into the next track i had a great time watching the movie uh yeah maybe what are we on track four we are pulling straight into track four rocky robbins emergency
right. Feeling pretty good about the soundtrack so far. Yeah. How are you guys feeling? Oh, yeah. I, I love mean, it, man. I love is, it. Is this like zero to 15 bananas we're going to rate this? Ooh, yeah, yeah, probably. Up the tailpipe. Bananas this, uh, on the tailpipe. <laughs> of all the songs we've heard, this is not a super imaginatively uh, crafted song. I couldn't find opinion. too much about Rocky Robbins out there. It's from Minneapolis or something. This the is soul like... Soul singer. Uh, yeah. This track, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like... Uh, uh, Iggy Pop's nightclubbing and it's like dirgy like eh, 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 eh. Uh, I think uh, Iggy Pop had it was kind of a commentary on like the monotonous of uh, like dance music but <laughs> I don't think this track is song, uh, this song isn't as self-aware this is just like a little bit blah to me but it's uh, you know it's fine what do you guys think no I think it's fine uh, anything with a synth I'm just like gonna you're into <laughs> you're really yeah, into I, mean, I, I, I feel like it stands hook line and sinker um, unfortunately, Rocky Robbins didn't have much success uh, after this. But uh, I mean, this is a pretty big notch in your belt uh, to be on this Grammy-winning soundtrack. Um, <laughs> he did release uh, a song in 2019. He released the single Rocky Robbins. He oh, yeah. signed with a UK deal, like Expansion Records or something. Mm-hmm. The guy's got pipes. I I assume uh, rightfully or wrongfully, I assume that he has like some sort of like. Uh, old soul song like uh real like chops because that's like a mm. especially i think a british label there's kind of a movement to like revive these old like american soul guys that are still going yeah, yeah this was that era when everything was getting synthified for the first time mm-hmm. yeah i think that uh you know i'm i'm a huge fan of kind of golden era soul music you know 60s and 70s mm-hmm. and you know if I were like an adult in the 80s, I probably would have been really bummed out by tracks like this. I probably would have been like a big fan of this guy and heard this and just been like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what is this new sound? Uh, you know, it's I have I have perspective now where I can all, I can accept that it. it's like, oh yeah, and this was like the, the synth the 80s. Man, I mean, I can't uh, emphasize enough how many albums like this are just teeming in um, record stores. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just so many synth, <laughs> synth heavy so like soul people mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. that nobody kind of bought their second album and mm-hmm. they're just like oh it's great I, I, and uh, some of those tracks on this no oh, when i was a kid in the 90s i should have bought you know more synthesizers when they were kind of uh frowned upon yeah. you know like when they came out in the you know 70s early 80s you know they were pretty pricey for their time yeah and then you know, once the kind of synth pop 80s stuff, you know, kind of got into grunge and synthesizers were kind of frowned upon, yeah. the used market was, they were so cheap. Yeah. And now, that, you know, uh, there's a huge resurgence. Uh, and uh, Isn't that the, the LCD thing? Everybody's selling their guitars, guitars and, and buying, buying synthesizers. Arpeggiators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, did, uh, I did want to make one more point on, um, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy, he left... <laughs> He left uh, Ghostbusters to this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. He turned down the, the Winston role. Yeah. And uh, went to Ernie Hudson. They effectively wrote Ernie Hudson out of the movie. <laughs> he had a much hey, bigger part. Minimized, but. Uh, yeah, they t- I think they totally um, cut out a lot of his role <laughs> because they wrote that part for Eddie Murphy. And then he was like, hey, I got to I gotta do Beverly Hills Cop. But I think it uh, was probably an excellent choice because this was one of the most successful. I think it was the most successful R-rated movie at the time 
Yeah, yeah. The for, movie was shot for like thirteen million dollars and grossed over three hundred million dollars. It's fucking yeah. crazy, it's so man. So wild. Yeah. This yeah. was one it's, of the, like it's a the Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. Production. I think it might have been yeah. like the second or third highest grossing film of the year. This mm-hmm. uh, soundtrack hit number one on the Billboard charts. Oh, this movie's a juggernaut, and the soundtrack is too. And it's crazy. So I was thinking of there's how many movies? There's three Beverly Hills Cops. There's three. I think they try to do a TV series it's and an one movie. video game. Yeah. <laughs> No, two video games. Two video two games. Video. Right. Yeah. <laughs> video game. Chris, speak to the video game. Uh, in 2006. Here we go. Uh, 2006. Was, we're pivoting to a video game podcast, by the way. I know, yeah. I don't know if anybody... We had a lot of success with Street Fighter. Um, Everybody loved that Street Fighter episode. In, in 2006, for whatever reason, they came out with a Beverly Hills Cop video game for the PS2, and it has gone down as one of the worst games of all time. Uh, we watched a little like, you know, YouTube review on it. And the guy's like, no exaggeration. Oh my God, this might be the worst game I've ever physically played. Both it, in I, appearance. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, can, I can attest that it, it very much looks like golden eye, mm-hmm. uh, which was a game that came out in maybe 97, 98. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it looks terrible. Ter- awful. It is fucking bizarre, man. It's bizarre. We, I should also point out that the third uh, the third, and probably the most forgettable installment of Beverly Hills Cop, I think, was in 94. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Ten years later. <laughs> uh, do you know what... R- so this was the highest grossing R-rated movie until... Uh, can anybody guess what the next one was that knocked it off? I think I know mm. the one before it was the... Uh, the Dolly Parton, the the whorehouse in Texas, whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was The Exorcist. Uh, after this, um, I don't know. Years later, Matrix Reloaded. Oh, yeah. Oh. I did know that. Matrix It's, it's weird that that's rated R. The only good Matrix is, is the it? first one. Yeah. yeah. The other two are yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I want to... <laughs> th- those movies are so devoid of sex. I can't imagine what would uh, what would merit an r rating for a matrix film the um the twins were scary <laughs> Too scary extended underground teams. rave scene <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah or neo takes ecstasy just a bunch of uh, what is zion zion, zion. filth bushwick yeah. filth uh yeah yeah maybe we should move on to the next track those universes do look very eerily similar track five the track five Once again on track listing podcast, Pointer Sisters with Neutron Dance. This is a song that I was obsessed with as a kid for some reason. And yeah, uh, good stuff. I would say that of all uh, the kind of, so we're going to talk a lot about, and we've already been talking a lot about the kind of transition of these soul singers to um, kind of synth pop, 80s synth pop. And it's rare. This is a song that maintains kind of the pace and uh, structure 
of like a chippy soul song, a kind of a Motowny song. And it's kind of a weird, it's weird in that it's a kind of a direct transition of all those. It's just with synths and mm-hmm. uh, it should, it should be kind of a train wreck, but it's, uh, it's pretty fun. I am pretty much a fan of everything Pointer Sisters. Yeah. You know, I've, I know that I've recommended their song automatic mm-hmm. before. And, um, we should also mention that the Pointer Sisters catalog was uh, one of uh, over, I think, 150,000 master tapes that were lost in the uh, that Universal fire oh, man. in 2008. God, I it's just like that. every master recording, basically, of like most everything that you know we love and listen to was lost in this fire because. Oh, it was like reading up on like, I was like, how did this fire actually start? Yeah. And they were applying asphalt shingles to the facade of the exterior. And I guess like some, uh, some bing bong was using like a blowtorch to get them to set. And you're supposed to like, I guess, wait until they cool down before you leave. And he just left in the building caught on fire. And we lost the master tapes of like every great artist oh ever. My God. Yeah. But like, why is a blowtorch involved in that process? Also <sighs> very, cu- very crazy. Cutting corners, cutting corners. But, um, um, yeah, I mean, they had what jump. Um, I'm so excited. Uh, the pointer sisters. Oh, yeah. Actual the, sisters, actual sisters, Anita, Point- Bonnie and June pointers, a pair. Wasn't that what they originally called? That was the first name um, for the group. Yeah. So this is kind of one of the most iconic, uh, songs in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the top three, at least, uh, this is kind of the, <laughs> this is still, we're still in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think this is the second song that plays and uh, uh, Axel Foley is in the back of a big rig full of cigarettes, uh, confiscated cigarettes with some uh, fat Detroit cops, like (laughs) just real reckless. You know, it turns into like a scene from Fury Road in the middle of Detroit, downtown (laughs) Detroit. That that was my uh, explanation. I was like, it's Detroit. Nobody cares. (laughs) Just like (laughs) plowing through like civilians and it's just, um, it's just mayhem. And uh, it's very unclear at the it, it's clear at the end of uh, of the sequence that Axel Foley was uh, <laughs> supposedly he was operating undercover without permission, which I don't think is ever a thing. Yeah. Uh, and also unclear why he was doing that. <laughs> well, it's like to operate undercover without permission is just to break the law. Yeah, yeah. I guess. I guess. yeah. <laughs> We're supposed to understand that he's a little oh, bit of a, a loose cannon, he's a little bit of a rascalian. But is he a dirty cop? <laughs> <laughs> All signs point Unclear. to this. Is he a dirty cop? Well, like He may have questionable beginnings that uh, they don't really get, get into in the movie. Most but. movies like this are like, uh, they, they kind of paint a police officer as like, he's willing to like do whatever it takes to take down a real sicko. But uh, yeah. these guys just want to like, buy some cigarettes to resell well like his his, his friend that gets killed was like uh you know kind of a hoodlum so maybe we're yeah. to believe that he was uh had like a rough upbringing and he like you know eventually became a cop well like uh so he gets his butt chewed off by the inspector todd uh we'll talk about a sec. inspector todd is so good inspector todd's great and a real detective yeah, yeah a real cop real and cop. Then later became a politician yeah was it in detroit or in was detroit okay yeah uh city council yeah, kind of reminds uh, me of uh, the guy from uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, yeah, you know, Ar- it's like Army. Oh, yeah. what's his name? Uh, Army Hammer. No, <laughs> it's like the <laughs> but the thing of like, well, why don't we just cast the guy who's actually the thing? Yeah, <laughs> just do that, and you can tell. Okay, so when uh, uh, Gilbert Hill is his name, uh, when he's chewing him out in the locker room, 
right after this scene there was like one thing he did with his arm and I was like, that guy's really nervous. <laughs> like, <laughs> it looked like, you know, he's the tough talking detective. It's like, you know, I, I got the DEA, the FBI on my ass. Cause of you <laughs> like the classic sort of detective. If you take a vacation and you get into this case, might be the longest vacation you'll ever have. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's great at it. Yeah. But then like, I noticed like a few like tweaks. I was like, why is he like, he seems like very uncomfortable. Like he didn't know what to do with his arm at one point Mm -hmm. uh, in the locker room. It's a character choice. Yeah. He's angry and he's also anxious. Uh, I thought he was, yeah, I think he's amazing. Obviously Eddie Murphy is amazing. I was trying to like think of any sort of corollary. Like there's been a long tradition now of uh, SNL actors making a transition into movies and even movie stardom. Mm -hmm. But I don't think any, I can't think of anybody who has made a transit like this is not like a comedy star starring role this is like movie star this right. is like right eddie murphy is so fucking cool in this movie yeah he's funny he's like believable and he's still what is he even 20 years old at this point yeah he's like crazy he's like 23 it's crazy uh and it's like uh, yeah uh, pete davidson is not that guy like oh no i can't it's so i guess like the con like the divergence between uh, comedy, I think comedy's become such a specialized field now, especially like sketch comedy, as mm-hmm. opposed to like, Eddie Murphy was just like a uh, young stand-up, right, who got recruited and mm-hmm. didn't even spend that much time on SNL. I mean, it's no. amazing, like how uh, I guess like how easy he makes it look. I feel like yeah. his yeah his life was probably so uh, wild. Well, is definitely wild and over the top, especially in the eighties, <laughs> from every account that I've ever heard. Yeah. But it's amazing how easy it is for him to uh, get through this performance. Yeah. I mean, I I think to your point, I don't think there's been anybody from SNL that's, I mean, Mike Myers has, you know, and Chris Farley, of course, were like movie stars, but they were comedy stars. Yeah. yeah. Like Will Ferrell is like a huge, but it's, it's um, way different than that. Like this guy. Yeah. I I think the point was uh, that I was going to make was that SNL when Eddie Murphy was there was like the Eddie Murphy show. Like he stole the yeah, show. Yeah. He was in so many sketches and that's why people tuned in because everybody else on the cast sucked <laughs> and he was amazing. You know what I mean? So I, I think that right. might be one of the reasons like he sort of saved the show and that's why years later when, uh, <laughs> when he got made fun of by, um, <laughs> by David Spade, David Spade. Yeah. Yeah. He like, lost his mind he like called lauren and was like i have never been so insulted and he was like i'm gonna kill david spade and david spade was like i'm not here i'm like uh i've got my fingers crossed that bowen yang is gonna star in an action comedy in like three years and i'm gonna i'm gonna be there opening night i fucking love that guy so much (laughs) yeah he's great he's great he's crushing it no eddie murphy had like stand-up beginnings um you know obviously before snl but uh I don't think the world really knew about that. So like, you know, when Delirious came out, people, they knew he was hilarious, but they were just like even more blown away yeah. by just like what an amazing entertainer this guy was. Did you see the little inside joke in this movie? The, where the outfits, I, I did right? say. The two outfits and he like shakes his head. He's like, and one <laughs> of them is like totally the Delirious outfit, like the red leather jumpsuit. Yeah. The weird thing about that, I feel like when they're doing the Detroit shots, you also see people dressed like Michael Jackson yeah. in Detroit. People just dressed like that in 1984. <laughs> I don't right? think people actually did. I think they did. <laughs> I'm looking at a 
that list of master tapes that were burned in the oh, fire. God, oh. God, you're still, bumming us out, it's got man. Like two, two pages long over here. You know. That's what the, I thought you brought notes. You just brought I just the, uh, just brought the master master list of master tapes. Uh, guys, it looks like we lost some Jimmy Buffett in the process. And, it, no! and this, this might take us straight into track number six, but it looks like in that fire, we also lost a lot of music by uh, the Eagles. No. no. By... Eagles. Well, we'll get into that <laughs> after <laughs> track six. That, yeah. yeah. Here is track six. This is Glenn Fry with The Heat Is On. Let's get uh, right into the issue. Apparently, yeah. everyone knows Eagles as the Eagles. Uh, yeah. The real name of the Eagles is Eagles. The Eagles versus just Eagles. They're it, just called Eagles. But which... Steve Martin, who was a good friend of Glenn Fry's, a good friend of Minnie, Minnie and Eagle, says that <laughs> people are supposed to say the Eagles. I guess apparently, you know, the name came from when they were in the desert somewhere oh on peyote drinking t- drinking tequila and and here we go <laughs> glenn, glenn fried saw an eagle up in the sky and said eagles, eagles! yeah but um you know i guess the part that makes it confusing is that uh in a lot of interviews you know from back in the day up until now in the interview they'll say like and we've got glenn fry from the eagles here and they don't say anything about it Maybe they just accepted that people thought the Eagles was a better name. No one says Eagles. No one it's says the Eagles. It's confu- like, I it's, always but if you look about, at it, if you look at an LP, it's a it never says effect. the Eagles. I, I have like yeah, it's a Mandela uh, effect. We gotta I, fix that. <laughs> I have that Talking Heads uh, live record that's called uh, the name of the band is Talking Heads because apparently they were so sick of you know correcting people. It's like we got here the Talking Heads. It's like no, we're Talking Heads. Yeah, that was you know whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's like it never. There's probably more of these bands than I than I've like uh, noticed that don't actually have the. But it's like, are we supposed to understand that the greatest hits? It's the best of Eagles. Is that what it says? That's fucking bananas. It's okay. weird, weird, man. I want to know what does he say in the Big Lebowski? He says it's been the a really long night, and I hate the fucking Eagles. Eagles. Well, that there you have it. Because if he, if I went back and watched that and he said, it's been a long night and I fucking hate eagles, my, <laughs> my brain would melt. I would lose my mind. Uh, so, uh, okay, this is, this, is, this is the thing that I have to say about this track more than anything. This track is in the movie. Yeah, it's the opening shots, the, the Detroit. bombed out Detroit. This is, this is the sound of Detroit, uh, some over the, over the hill uh, California rocker. Yeah. Uh, singing this is i think this song was written and produced by Thaltemeyer. uh they brought in glenn fry uh okay so <laughs> i talk a lot about the awkward transition from the 70s to the 80s <laughs> yeah, you talked about and it. this is the track that 
it's something that nobody uh, nobody cares about as much as i do it epitomizes what you're talking about it's though, stuck in my head song. i cannot stop thinking about it because i know this song so well i it took years and years before i realized that this was glenn fry from <laughs> yeah. from eagles yeah very uh, good very good yeah. uh and you're, it's you're like learning. the idea is i cannot as much as some people's minds might be blown by eagles the eagles my mind is will never not be blown by the fact that hotel california came out like eight years before this yeah mm-hmm. and that somebody could be in this like uh 70s you know uh fucking folk rock whatever dad you, rock dad rock band eagles and then eight years later be like short hair fucking shoulder pads you know saxophone solo heat is on like it just it doesn't make any sense and it's like uh i've talked a few episodes ago i was talking about like the what is it the cancellation of the future the slow cancellation of the future like the idea that culture culture like cultural progress as far as like decades like what we think about like decades you know you talk about um you know the movie the doors yes unfortunately I own a copy of that. Yeah, okay, so that that movie came out in the '90s. I think that movie only came out 20 years after uh, the death of Jim Morrison. Yeah, this is Oliver Stone's The Doors. Yeah, so that would be like if they made a movie about The Strokes and you watched it and it looked like. Can you imagine watching a movie about The Strokes and it looked like the '70s and the '90s? It, it's like it looks like a fucking hundred years ago. Yeah, and it's like if you if you think about 20 years ago, it would look the fucking same as it does now, right? It's called Pin 15. <laughs> yeah i mean it's, it's just that's 20 years ago and it, it's just, you know very strange to look at yeah i can't wrap my head around it but this this song forever for me will be the the avatar of like how ridiculous <laughs> like uh culture was changing how quickly it was changing yeah. from the 60s to the 70s to the 80s adapter to the 90s and then it just stopped <laughs> yeah. yeah except for i mean this is it's a very uh I think maybe a very narrow view of culture, which is very rock centric. I think that if you're talking about hip hop or, or other things, especially technology, obviously, but, uh, but when it comes to like rock music and I think, you know, to some degree films, it's like once you got to the nineties, things kind of like coalesced into a steady stream where the fuck we're living in now listeners if you ever see an eagle flying in the sky make sure to look up and say the eagles (laughs) the the eagles the eagles Uh, they'll always be the eagles (laughs) i I refuse to accept this (laughs) i gotta bring up um there is an snl lost digital short called the heat is on uh same title as this (laughs) Yeah. And it's uh, written by Adam McKay and Will Ferrell plays uh, Glenn Fry <laughs> and uh, Ben Stiller's in it. And the whole thing, it's the strangest. I, I thought it was hilarious at the time. And then it's a lot of those um, SNL digital shorts kind of got lost over the years. Uh, I don't know what happened, but um, I've been tracking them down. <laughs> and uh, it's Ben Stiller sees Glenn Fry in a bar and he's like, uh, Ben Stiller's like this like kind of pickup artist guy. And he's like, that's Glenn Fry. And they're like, who? And he's like, Eagles. Uh, the, the heat is on. The H is O. And they're like, what? <laughs> the heat is on. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to pick up Glenn Fry. I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, man. I can pick up Glenn Fry tonight. I'm going to go home with Glenn Fry. And then he goes home and, uh, with Will Ferrell, who is Glenn Fry. <laughs> and Glenn Fry uh, makes like Ben Stiller wear like a dog collar and eat out of a dog bowl. And he's like, this is how a dog eats. And like, it's like really horrifying. And then they're back at the same bar the next day and they're like, how did it go? And he's like, 
I want to talk about it. And that's the that's the whole sketch. It's like <laughs> it's so bizarre. You can find it. Uh, there's a thing somebody posted uh, it on Reddit not too long ago. But okay, sounds made up. I can't uh, <laughs> I can't get out of my head every time I hear this. this Will Ferrell like. <laughs> I think that uh, we can say definitively that the song haunts us all for different reasons. But maybe we should move on to the next track. Or is it time for a break? It's time for a break. Guys. Time for a break. Uh, before we go to the break, I do have to say that at the end of the episode, we're going to add to the track listing Spotify playlist. Uh, we are each going to recommend a track by uh, a song by an actor um, in honor of Eddie Murphy's uh, musical career, which maybe we'll touch on a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that's, uh, that's near and dear to all of us is uh, actors making music. So we're going to recommend a track on that and then i put together a game also for after the break so stay tuned that's right caleb stick with us Bye. thank you to everyone for listening to track listing podcast it's 2021 we got a lot of great soundtracks for you guys you can also find us on a variety of social media platforms oh you sure can nick if you want to find us on instagram you can reach out at at track listing podcast that's right caleb and you can also find us on twitter <laughs> at track listing pod tell your friends tell your family about track listing podcast and we sure would appreciate it if you would rate and review us on the apple podcast app that's right caleb and you can also find us on chess.com at track listing podcast or reddit.com at track listing podcast. and now back to <laughs> the episode back to the episode <laughs> Welcome back to Beverly Hills Cop Music from the Motion Picture Soundtrack Before we get back to the soundtrack We have a game prepared by Caleb Thank you, Nikki Uh, Right here under my phone (sighs) I have four dollars Which can... I was going to say it can only mean one thing, have but it can been, mean a few uh, different things. Have those been wiped down? Yeah, they're extra wrinkly. <laughs> They've been sanitized. Moist. Looks nice. wet. Times. Yeah, <laughs> just These dripping. are still hot. They're right out of the microwave. But tonight we are playing Spotify Feud. All right. All right. You guys are going to be playing against each other. Uh, family Feud rules. Cheers. I don't have to explain the rules to you guys. I don't think I have to explain the rules to uh, the, the listeners audience. At home. But to the listeners, if you haven't heard before, we are going to uh, have you guys compete trying to predict what the top five Spotify songs are for certain bands. Oh, man, I did so like Last time we did, like, Sugar Ray. So I'm going to pull up Blue my Oyster answer Cult, sheet Blue Oyster Cult. Um, no, ELO. I yeah. said Blue Oyster. I said a Blue Oyster Cult song that <laughs> that's right. I thought ELO sang. Very go, 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 Unforgivable. All right, so uh, I need you guys to put your hands on buzzers. Can okay. you test those out? Buzz. Chris. No, we're going to say... Test yours again, Chris. Buzz. There you go. Oh, oh sorry. Right. Mine was messing up. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, the first to buzz in gets to guess first. And then uh, whoever, if you don't get the number one track, then the other person gets a chance to steal and the pass or play. You know how it goes. Yeah. Uh, sure. We're going to play it with no strikes, I think. That's good. Because there's, there's only five answers. Um, so the first band, you guys ready? Hands on buzzers. Okay. Test the buzzers. Buzz. Buzz. Okay. The first band is Weezer. Buzz. Chris. What is your what is your guess? Take some time to think. No hurry. What is your guess for the top track for Weezer? Buddy Holly. We pulled 345 million Spotify users yes. worldwide. Bad answer. It's a bad answer. I'm not zapping. Buddy Holly 
came in at number three. Right. At 185 million streams. That's a lot of fucking streams, man. A lot of, that's what's it's like five dollars in royalties. Spotify dollars. Crypto <laughs> Spotify dollars. Spotify coin. All right, Nikki. What is your guess on what might what might be higher than Buddy Holly for the band Weezer? See Weezer's top stream song on Spotify. Maybe it's Island in the Sun. Maybe it's Say It Ain't So. Maybe it's Hashpipe. I'm gonna say Say It Ain't So. With 238 million streams, almost 239. So sorry, Weezer. Say it ain't so at number two. <sighs> Good job, Nikki. Do you want to play or do you want to pass? I will play. All right, Nikki, you can play. We've got three songs remaining in Weezer's top five Spotify tracks. You can do this, Nick. Even though we're competing, I believe in you. <laughs> Suzanne. You're not supposed to say shit like that. <laughs> All right. Um, we're still a family, okay? We might be few, yeah. but we're still a family. <laughs> Love you guys. Um, for number one, Weezer, Spotify. One through five. It doesn't matter which one. No, you it guess. doesn't matter. It doesn't have Just to be as long as it's in the top five. Okay. Uh, that makes it a little easier. I'll say Island in the Sun. Oh my God, Nikki. With 365 million streams, Island in the Sun is Weezer's number one track. Yes. God, that's surprising to me. Surprising, it's but surprising. it is a jam. Yeah. It is a jam. Okay. So now we've got the top three. Yep. crossed off the list only two songs left all right do you want to take some time and think about it i'll play i think i got one all right let's try sweater song 58 million streams undone dash the sweater song at number five <sighs> wow there is only one track left. i should say i'm gonna do a little bit of a an explanation here there are no super recent Weezer songs. I was worried about that. I always have to vet these. Uh, yeah. Sometimes when a band comes out with the album recently, then it kind of gums up the entire thing. Yeah. These are all classic Weezer tracks. Oh, only yeah. one left. Only the number four track. Nikki, do you have any idea? I will guess number four is, I'll say Suzanne. Suzanne is not number four on okay. the track. Chris. This is going to win it all moment for you. It's wet dollars. You can steal the entire dollar. I'm going to hold up the dollar. <laughs> it's disintegrating <laughs> in front of my eyes. Hold on. This is, it looks old. It says 2009. It looks older. <laughs> I'm going to guess because of the movie Beverly Hills. <sighs> number four, 125 million. No. Beverly Hills, yeah. number four. Yeah. All right. Right. All right. Beverly oh. Hills, great song. What was number three? Number three was Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. Also, that BH. Yeah, BH, right. Beverly Hills, Buddy yeah. Holly. Here we go. We're on to something. 23 Hands. Look at the brain on Chris. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. it, I, it that I'm might impressed. have been the, the band I was most. Um, uh, adept uh, <laughs> at knowing their songs, so I was nice. I was pissed. Good job, guys! You cleared out the entire top five. That nice. doesn't happen often. And I'm I know proud we're of you playing guys. against each other, but uh, yeah, yeah, fist nice. bump, yeah, fist yeah, bump. Good job. All right, hands on buzzers. Okay. Do you guys want to test out the buzzers? Little buzz. Okay. The band for this round is Red Hot Chili Peppers. Zap. Okay. <laughs> that was Chris. Chris buzzes in first. <laughs> Mine shocked me. Um, <laughs> Under the bridge. Under the bridge. Come on. Under the bridge. We pulled 345 million Spotify users worldwide. Come on. They said 
with 764 million streams. Like that. That's a lot. Under the Bridge at number two. Oh, oh my goodness. Number two. So close. Okay. Nikki, do you have any ideas? For number one? Red Hot Chili Peppers. RHCP. RHCP. Yeah. Remember that, song they, I don't know. remember that song they had in Wayne's World? On the, I think maybe it was Wayne's World. Well, don't give them any clues. It's not going to be in the top five. It was called like <laughs> Sick of Mechanico. Crazy. Song. It was before it was the pre-Fashante. Number one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number one. I'm going to say Californication. You know, that would fit in with the, with the theme mm-hmm. of the game. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But with only 746 million streams, Californication number one. Yes. Nikki, good Son job. Of a gun. All right. All right. So you do have control of the board. Do you want to play or pass? There are three songs remaining. How, how, how confident are you in your RHCP knowledge? I'll play this round. Sky, Scott. All's a steal. Hasn't paid off so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to deliver on this game. Um, I'll say that Give It Away is in the top five. Good answer. Good answer. Give It Away. Probably, you know, it might have been something I would uh, guess. Unfortunately, is not in the top five. Really? Yeah. Really? It's maybe my favorite RHCP song, and I'm not the biggest Chili Peppers fan. All right. Chris, do you want an opportunity to steal? You got three tracks here. And I just have to name one of them. Just one. I, this is embarrassing, but um, are you gonna say another Blue Oyster Cult song? Yeah, no. But what's the the Reaper? <laughs> if I do a, a lyric from one, can you give me the name of the song? <laughs> you're asking me to answer the question for you. Is that what you're saying? Don't stop the dimples in the shindig. This snap is nothing, just a read through. Um, that one's called. I will give you credit if you can do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Can't stop addiction. Okay, do it again. This lap is more than just a read through. And then it ends. It's um, uh, it's called like something, uh, point bullet point. Okay. At number five, with five hundred and nine million streams, the song "Other Side" from Californication. Mm-hmm. Number four. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm wrong. Just oh, okay. Well, keep going. Number four is a track called "Snow." In parentheses, Heyo from Stadium Arcadium. Why is that a double album? Let's just, just one know. disc. <laughs> one disc. Come on, RCHP. What is a double R-H-C-P. album anymore? Uh, with number three from 2002, the album By the Way. Do you know this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way. A song called Can't Stop. Yeah. With Yes, Chrissy. Yeah, with 596 the- million, it's- almost 597 million streams. Can't stop. You get a dollar. So I said it in the can't stop. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I made, that's why I made you sing it over and <laughs> Thank over. You. Thank right, you. Sorry. Sorry. Good job. <laughs> I, I don't feel good about that win, but I'll take the money. <laughs> I really thought that. Remember that song, Scar Tissue? I don't yeah. Know. yeah. Not on there was a lot. A lot of. That was a big I, one. They've been around for three decades. <laughs> Not a big fan. Yeah. All right. Hands on buzzers. You guys ready? <laughs> yes. We got a dollar right here. Tesla's buzzers. Buzz. Buzz. Buzzers are working. All right. We got to get like some actual buzzers. Yeah. This is getting we ha- ridiculous. Are you saying we don't have actual buzzers? The <laughs> band. <laughs> Hands on buzzers. The band for round three is NWA. Buzz. Okay. Nikki buzzes. I'm not going to say the full name of the band. NWA. That's right. Um, number one stream song on Spotify. 
is straight out of Compton. 216 million streams. Number one, straight out of Compton. All right. Compton is in Los Angeles. I don't know if you know that, Chris. It is. Good. I see the theme. Do you want to play or pass? I will pass. (sighs) Dang it. A very canny move. Uh, (laughs) Chrissy. (laughs) You're going to kill this. Oh, no. Um, Cop killer. Your answer is cop killer. Yes. NWA. I think so. That is a song by Body Count, so I'm not even going to do the fanfare. <laughs> Nikki, oh this is your chance to steal? <laughs> or does he just win because you didn't get any? I think he just wins because I, I, win. I get none. So you, you get the dollar. <laughs> Number five, always into something. Number four, Gangsta Gangsta. Ah, That's like a big one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number three, Chin Check. Number two, Fuck the Police. That's, That's right. Okay. Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack. Here, Nikki. Take a dollar. This is wet. <laughs> I like it. What's the year on that one? All right. The last dollar we're playing for. Bonus round. 2013. Ooh. Seems Ooh. older. Oh, my gosh. All right. What a the year. The last band. Hands on buzzers. Okay. Buzz. Tesla's buzzers. Buzz. Ooh, that's a tie. The last band is the Beach Boys. Buzz. Okay. Chrissy. I'm going to say, golly, this is tricky because I'm thinking of the different eras. Um, Take a left on the hill. (laughs) (laughs) It's not Johnny Carson. Um, I'm going to say God only knows. That's what I would have said, too. 156 million streams. God only knows at number four. A lot of room to steal this one, Nikki, if you feel like it. stings. Okay. Um, Number one. Beach Boy. Beach Boys. I always wanted to start a band called Beach Boy. Technically, you could start a band called Beach Boys. <laughs> Just leave off leave the up the. the. Uh, number one Beach Boys song on Spotify, I will say, is Good Vibrations. Not number one, 245 million streams. At number three, Good Vibrations. Nikki, do you want to play or pass? Um, the number three and number four tracks are off the board. I will play. All right. We got three possible tracks. How about Wouldn't It Be Nice? I'm impressed. Number one. Number one. 308 million streams, almost 309. I definitely would have guessed that Good Vibrations would be number one. Yeah. Uh, but number one wouldn't be nice. Song. All right. Nice. Out of way. All right, two tracks left. Do you have a guess for me? Um, Do you want me to vamp? I would say Love and Mercy. Love and Mercy. Love and Mercy. A track that we recently talked about on the Orange County soundtrack. (laughs) Watch the movie with Paul Giamatti. Watch the burger scene. (laughs) I believe was a Brian Wilson solo track. It is not Ah, on the top five. That's right. All right, Chrissy, your last dollar. Now, I can't remember if this song was originally Time to Steal. You're the dollar. Oh, I know what I'm going to say. God damn it. <laughs> now, this could have been a Van Halen track, but I think it was Beach Boys first. It was California Girls. California Girls. Somebody fell into Caleb's trap. <laughs> oh, no. That's David Lee Roth. No, I know. I know. Yeah, it's no, David no, Lee no, Roth. No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. 
number five, Kokomo. Ow. A track yeah, that we oh. talked about on our, our uh, cocktail soundtrack yeah. episode <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> Looking at flights. 106 at million streams. <laughs> number two, Surfing USA. Ow, of course. Or, or Barbara Ann. Barbara Ann. Here is your dollar, Nikki. All right. Well, that well, was, well. I am, that played out exactly how I hoped it would. Yeah. <laughs> you got a bonus round for us, Caleb. Hoping that no, Caleb that was the last round. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're tied. All Ready right, to go. Everybody wins. Thanks Everybody for playing, wins. guys. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Caleb. Uh, Spotify feud. Now we got to get back to the soundtrack. Let's get back to the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack. We are picking back up with track number seven. This is Danny Elfman with Gratitude. Danny Elfman, once again, on yeah. track listing. I feel like we've talked about him all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Check out our Weird Science episode. Yeah. I and, mean, uh, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's hilarious to talk about Danny Elfman in a non-score uh, uh, or Oingo Boingo reference. This is a solo track that's not part of the score. He didn't score this film. Danny Elfman, of course, became, uh, I guess, a little bit after this, became a huge uh, film and television score producer. Correct. Yeah. Um, Simpsons theme song. Simpsons three song. I think the song's like really good. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, does not appear in the movie, but it feels like it should have. Like I don't know not why in they the movie. I don't know it's if it right. would fit that well in the movie. It's not very uh, all right. Beverly Hills or Detroit, <laughs> but I I actually I fucking really like this track. I you know it's like a little bit talking the heads, a little bit uh I don't know like simple minds kind of uh, yeah. it's kind of like a new wave a little devo-y yeah devo-y not devo-y like new wave track that, uh, is right up right up Caleb's alley I yeah. don't know I was looking back on uh, Danny Elfman and um, you know looking at Oingo Boingo that you mentioned his new wave octet I was like why are there so many people in <laughs> Oingo Boingo it's like oh right horns I thought there were two Oingo and Boingo Oingo and Boingy <laughs> Yeah, man. Those horn sections. And uh, Oingo Boingo was very, uh, like, you know, influenced by punk and uh, ska. Oh, here we go. (laughs) A lot of ska influence there. Was Danny Elfman not uh, a a producer music-wise on this soundtrack? No, no. I thought he he, uh, helped... You may be music, right. He may have like helped put some of the music but, together. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I, I, I don't know that, it's but. possible, but I, did, I didn't see anything with him involved in the, I think it was uh Faltemeyer and a couple Faltemeyer definitely helped some of the other artists produce the tracks. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, yeah. Okay. This seems, I mean, this might've honestly, this might be a little bit early. I mean, obviously I think it might be after Oingo Bongo split up, but probably right after like this is early eighties. Mm-hmm. We got to remember like 84. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. He was a young, young pup. Although I guess, you know, Weird Science probably is around this uh, period. I did like the Weird Science song that he did. I saw some interview with him I where guess, he was... But that was Oingo Boingo, right? That was maybe the full band. Oh, was it credited to Oingo Boingo? I think so. Uh, weird Science. Yeah, it was. I saw him in some interview and I guess he was like surprised himself by the amount of money that he's made from 
The Simpsons. He's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I've done like all these, uh, virtually every Tim Burton movie yeah, yeah. he's yeah. scored. Also, but he's can like, you the, do like Men in Black and yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, he's done a shit ton. He's, he's done everything. And uh, he was like, I'm still surprised to this day. Like, he's like, I've made so much money from the Simpsons theme song. And, you know, he, when he wrote that, he was kind of influenced. You know, the song kind of follows like a Lydian uh, mode. And he was very influenced by the Jetsons theme song. Yeah. You re-listen to the Jetsons, you can hear some of the influence. But he came, he like came up with it while he was like driving in the car. He made the track in like a couple of hours, and uh, it changed everything. Jetsons, so wild. meet the Jetsons. Meet your Jetsons. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like just doing the uh, Flintstones. Oh, yeah. Flintstones. <laughs> Jetsons, meet the Jetsons. I like to think of... Uh, Mark Mothersbaugh and uh, oh yeah, Rugrats, yeah, yeah, Devo. and uh, and Danny Elfman is like some sort of like kind of a Tom Sizemore shit. What is the guy from uh, <laughs> uh, from Reservoir Dogs? There, you know, it's like there's there's always the, Mr. Blonde, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. There's like the pairs of actors. There's these guys that are like everybody confuses them with each other and they kind of mm-hmm. have the exact same career and it's like which one's going to be in the movie and mother's like, ball elfman yeah mother's yeah. ball elfman <laughs> it's like they're like devo and oingo boingo are not that dis- like dissimilar yeah, they're, <laughs> kind like, they're kind of like these art yeah it's like a new like wave B-52s. art punk yeah like art kind punk, of yeah. you know i'd say devo is definitely the kind of the alpha of those two and then like uh when it comes to like film score and stuff, I think probably Elfman's had like a more financially successful career, but Mother's Boss like maybe a little bit more critically artistically respected, respected but very like similar. Done a lot of the Wes Anderson yeah. scores. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fu- it kind of fucks me up how much these guys have had the same fucking life. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't know. I like it. Both of them are great, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of them are great. Dude, I think this song is really Wingo, good. If you look back at some of those photos of Wingo, Boingo, it's kind of terrifying. It's a shock <laughs> of red hair. <laughs> His hair looks like alien. I think they could have used like someone to kind of like manage their like visual aesthetic. Perhaps. Yeah. It was but, a different time. Yeah. <laughs> it was scary. People were walking down the street in cheetah print and, and leather jumpsuits and stuff, you know. Michael Madsen was the, uh, the Tom That's, Sizemore Madsen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was uh, what I was reaching for. Who, who was the band that did that uh, What's Going On song? Uh what's four non blondes four non blondes yeah another band that's like can someone just kind of like help rein in the image going on here (laughs) (laughs) an image consultant weird steampunk hats oh yeah the goggles on top of the top hat yeah exactly i think that the uh the lead singer (laughs) slash like songwriter from that has like been a very successful commercial songwriter for other people Mm, Um, i mean I always like kind of uh, in my 90s brain conflate them with a band called Shakespeare's Sister. Mm. And then I think in reality, one of them, I have no idea what they're doing. And one of them is like living in a mansion in Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you just want to hear track eight. Yeah. yeah, that's it. This is Patti LaBelle once again with Stir It Up.
not a Bob Marley cover stirred up. <laughs> I have kind of like <laughs> I was waiting for it. in my brain have like a little bit of a nascent idea of like uh, maybe a super group uh, where I just play songs that have the titles of better songs. <laughs> hey what are you saying man uh yeah so this song we're finally in beverly hills yeah (laughs) this is this is a song scoring uh axel foley like pulling in beverly hills and is doing kind of a uh an echo of the the intro scene of like seeing the fucked up streets of detroit yeah and instead la is beautiful 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 people beautiful stores commercialism los angeles in the 90s no problems no problem Uh, can can we talk about the uh once eddie murphy or once axel foley arrives in uh, beverly hills to meet up with his old friend who works at a gallery yeah he encounters uh, Serge. Serge. Serge uh, is the person that runs this gallery. He's Bronze, like, Bronson Pinchot. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a little French guy. <laughs> Do you want an espresso with a lemon twist? But he's like, you Don't know, be stupid. All this kind of no, like. No, I will not shut the, talk, shut the fuck up. <laughs> he's like, all, this, all this kind of like, you know, bullshit art. And he's like, how much does this uh, go for? He's like, 130,000. He's like, get the fuck out of here. Serge's like, no way. I, I, I will not get the fuck out of here. Uh, Something that I, I, for some reason, the way that sitcoms age, they always seem like 20 years older than movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, it never crossed my mind that this movie could have happened before um, Perfect Strangers, but Uh, it did. Yeah, yeah. This was Bronson Pinchot's breakout and that his like foreign accent in this is what got him cast in uh, the sitcom, which made him famous. Mm. Uh, for a time yeah perfect strangers was a huge hit <laughs> a huge hit a huge hit uh but for in my mind perfect strangers happened like in the 70s <laughs> oh no it was like 93 <laughs> yeah yeah you kind of reminded me of um hank azaria's character in the birdcage yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit sure. of an influence maybe for sure <laughs> it's maybe offensive but hank azaria in the birdcage is so good yeah. yeah okay speaking of offensive uh damon waynes makes his uh movie debut yes uh as just like banana the, man the banana man <laughs> But um, he had a whole, I mean, he <laughs> he rode like 10 years on one character that was just like a gay man. <laughs> it was like he and David Allen Greer had like, oh, we're just like, we're just gay people. And that they got so much mileage out of that. <laughs> and there's a scene in this too, uh, where Eddie Murphy's like, huh, I have to go undercover somewhere. How can I like get through and like not be questioned? I'll just pretend to be a gay prostitute. I guess I kind of I don't mind that so much. In the right, right, right. uh, All of like Eddie Murphy's ad libs in this are kind of like uh, I guess like the the central thesis of it is that he's good at making rich white people uncomfortable enough to just let him like do his thing let him like go past yeah yeah and it's like watching and i think a lot of it is ad-lib but it's like it's kind of believable yeah 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 and Uh, that's what's amazing thing it's like he's very charismatic that one's like maybe not as believable like when he's trying to get a a, like a reservation at i think it's uh, i've been in the hotel it's the biltmore yeah i think it's in like downtown la but it's supposed to be in beverly hills but the idea of like him going in and just being like conning his way oh i see what this is you don't give rooms to black people. Yeah, and yeah. people are like, whoa. Yeah, like, uh, excuse me. Uh, it looks like we have a sweet 1304. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet 1304. <laughs> that's the biggest plot hole. This whole thing It's like, why did he have to stay there? And why did he want to stay there? Yeah. Like, he didn't make any sense. And then it's like, oh, it's yeah, like 230 that. bucks a night. Like, okay. <laughs> like, but 
he just kind of bluffed his way in but maybe it was to show that what you're talking about like he's he's able to sort of bluff his way in places by sort of making people uncomfortable yeah, yeah. especially uptight like uh suits behind counters i think maybe like the uh the central like logical failing of the film is that it's assuming that beverly hills is a place without any con men Mm -hmm. which is uh far from the truth quite Uh, especially if we're dipping our toes into the art world yeah (laughs) a little bit of a a peek behind the curtain here i think that so the (laughs) the kind of hilariously evil gallery owner uh Victor Maitland. Victor Maitland, who like he he's got like kind of a silver-haired, overly tanned. Um, I think the actor he was in like a few Kubrick films, and I've seen him in some other stuff. But he's wearing like a weird kimono suit, which yeah, is hilarious at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that. I would uh, I would wear that uh, ironically, but not on. Don't, don't be that guy. Not to um, the office. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking sick. But it's funny. Uh, it it's. In my every time I see it, I'm like uh, the most famous art dealer in the world. Kind of looks like that, mm-hmm. and in my mind, I'm like watching. I'm like, this is they're they're like kind of modeling after this guy, but he's not because that guy didn't like become a thing until probably the '90s. So I maybe the most famous art dealer in the world was trying to model himself after Victor Maitland, which kind of <laughs> oh, makes sense yeah. <laughs> because this is. He's a he's an art dealer who understands the value of art, which is uh, laundering money. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Talk to Army Hammer's parents. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's all a fucking scam. But yeah, I guess the scam is to. It's a little bit unclear. They're bringing smuggling cocaine in and maybe bear bonds out or maybe everything's coming in. That's sort of the, I thought one of the failings of the film is that like the actual thing we're supposed to care about didn't, I was like, Oh wait, what? They're smuggling something to get this into, but we only really care about Mickey who died. So why do we care about any of this other stuff? It it seemed like a bit of a MacGuffin just to sort of get out uh, Axel Foley into stuff. I think that, uh, you know, one of the screenwriters was close enough to the art world to know that it was uh, it was wrought with fraud and insincerity, <laughs> and uh, and that people were yeah, it's like you know, I like the the coffee grounds thing where every time somebody experienced coffee grounds, they had to pull it right up to their nose <laughs> to smell it and be like, what is this? <laughs> It's gotta coffee. be coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's like really aromatic. <laughs> Maybe the most aromatic thing on the planet. It was uh, nominated for best screenplay. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 Did not win though. That's fucking stupid for two reasons. Yeah. One is that it's you know it's not like a Oscar worthy screenplay, and also so much of it was obviously uh, ad libbed. Yeah. It's like the screenplay was probably like a pile of shit, to be honest. <laughs> um, talking about writing, uh, Ali Willis wrote this song with Danny Cimbello. Mm-hmm. little connection game here. Do we recognize that last name of Cimbello? Mm. Wait, is that like... <laughs> Michael Cimbello's brother. Is it somebody brother. from The Strokes or something? <laughs> no, Michael Cimbello wrote Maniac. Oh, oh. from the, the Flash Dance. The Flash Dance, which was produced by... Don Simpson. Don Simpson. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Bruckheimer. Bruckheimer. Jerry Bruckheimer. Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah. Cocaine Unstoppable Monsters. Duos. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. LA Monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Which is interesting. I'd never heard of Danny Cimbello, but that last name, I was like, wait, is he related to Michael Cimbello? Yes, he is. All right. If you look closely in the film, you can see uh, Michael Bay's gestation chamber in the background (laughs) of some of the shots. Just a bath of cocaine and dollar bills trying to birth the perfect director. (laughs) And then a helicopter's like, (laughs) (laughs) 
That's not an idea. Those are just special effects. <laughs> <laughs> you guys want to hear some of track nine? Let's do it. Yes. This is The System with Rock and Roll Me Again. system maybe popping up for the first time big a personal influence not this song though yeah it sounds a little bit of a limp dick i'm kind of surprised they didn't put a song from their album uh, sweat that came out two years before the film got made which is an awesome 80s album would fit right in with a lot of the synth stuff but they uh they ended up releasing this as a single and the b-side was a song called the discovery that uh faltemeyer wrote and produced with them so he may have been involved with like putting this song together for the soundtrack. I think he definitely was, which is weird because this is also a song that's not in the movie. Not in the movie. It's not even in the a, credits. Mm-mm. Yeah. It sounds kind of like they're trying to do a bit of a crossover, maybe getting a little more rock, but yeah, kind of a stinker. I got a little bit of a, a, a nit to pick. Um, something. Pick it. A very track listing specific nitpick, which is that when we get to the credits, which is usually a little bit of a dumping ground a little bit of a graveyard for all the soundtrack tracks that uh, didn't make it into the movie when it comes to it's just a it's a song that was already in the yeah, movie stirred up so we don't even get to like hear uh some of these discarded there's only 10 tracks yeah. but you, you like that though yeah I, I hate it when they cram like nine songs into the credits i was at least hoping to be like there's only 10 songs i was like That's wow true. maybe put some of these in the no also, uh, <laughs> nasty girl by vanity oh yeah uh awesome didn't make it to the soundtrack yeah that's Bummer. that's disappointing really uh really that was picked by the stripper herself yeah uh that we actually see in the movie maybe prince had something to do with that where he didn't uh approve it or something i don't, Dude, know. I don't know i think that there's there's nothing fucking sweeter than a movie in 1984 where they uh have a stripper just be like this is what we dance to and they're like this let's is the jam let's do it don simpson is just like what yeah <laughs> that's good yeah yes do it <laughs> sounds great <laughs> like this is the only day you came to set this is when we we're doing the stripper scene yeah, yeah, right. like, what it is! <laughs> i saw an interview with don simpson and jerry brockheimer uh on the behind the scenes for the making of uh, beverly hills cop 2 and they're both just yacked out of their minds. I was like, <laughs> they look like they need a glass of water more than any, anyone I've ever seen. Notoriously so. We talked about it on the flash dance thing, but like Don Simpson like, like drowned in his pool or something. Didn't he? Terrible. He had, oh, yeah. He had a he had a doctor who would prescribe him anything who was living in his pool house. That's right? what it was. Yeah. yeah <laughs> sketchy thought, doctor. No, he, he said he that's like, like the ultimate in LA luxury yeah. is when you have a doctor living in the room <laughs> behind your, your pool place. House. He's you the, the pool doctor. boy. <laughs> yeah. You got a doctor pool boy. I have a 60 grand a month cocaine <laughs> habit. I need my doctor on oh my site. God, yeah. <laughs> very tragic. <laughs> tragic. <laughs> Guys, we are pulling into the last track on the soundtrack. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. What is this last track, Nikki? Not sure if I've ever heard this before. This is, uh, <laughs> maybe you guys know this. This is uh, Axel F by Harold Faltmeyer. Track 10. Be interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
man. Classic track. We'll talk a lot about Harold Fontemeyer, I'm sure. I feel like we're all like locked and loaded, ready to go. I think that this is Axel's theme. This is also like a track that is repeated in different permutations through a lot of the film. Uh, usually something that we would kind of whinge and bitch about, but in it this plays movie, at least 30 times in the movie, yeah. but it's always great. And I think part of its strength, not only that it's like kind of like maybe an accidentally amazing, catchy song, but it also, it, it, I feel like it kind of encapsulates uh, Axel Foley's strength in that he's just constantly kind of sneaking into places, yeah. breaking yeah. into places, getting his way into buildings He's like a sneaky weird. He's, you know, he's not like if it was fucking Sylvester Stallone, he would be like breaking heads and shooting everybody. It's like Axel Foley, Eddie Murphy. He's, you know, picking locks and he's getting, he's like convincing people to break the law. Yeah. And this, this music is his theme and it actually works as his theme in that it's like sneaky and cool and slick and fucking the best. This is the best. It's him creeping down a hallway sideways with a gun drawn. You know what I mean? And it's like iconic. (laughs) He looks really good doing it too. Like a short sleeve sweatshirt and fucking Converse all stars. (laughs) Sick. Sick. (laughs) We should mention that uh, Faltemeyer got his start in Hollywood assisting uh, mustachioed electro pioneer Giorgio Moroder. Yeah, man. Moroder. Soundtrack for yeah. um, Faltemeyer is a, Midnight Express, a German uh, musician that uh, Maroder brought over. This is like Maroder's kind of second act as uh, when when the disco revolution died, crashed and burned, and uh, and Maroder became like a film score and like producer. Uh, this this was the period when he brought over Faltemeyer and kind of they worked together a lot, and then Faltemeyer like kind of uh, carried the torch on a lot of these eighties movies. Nice. Nice. What were some of those other things that you heard? You said Midnight Express? Midnight Express, Oliver Stone, and um, Adrian Lin's uh, jailbait favorite, Foxes. <laughs> and then I guess <laughs> this was like kind of soon after that. Ah. But uh, I think Faltemeyer was also saying like how crazy Hollywood was at this time. And um, like with today's communication and like everyone being plugged in digitally, there's no room for that special 70s and 80s craziness mm. that was going on during this time i think it sounds like he's specifically talking about don simpson and jerry Bruckheimer's <laughs> cocaine <laughs> parties or like anyone i've you know ever heard about in an interview talk about being around eddie murphy in the 80s it was like <laughs> i can't talk about it but it was crazy yeah. really yeah. fun we can't talk about it we all have to hear about it from charlie murphy <laughs> his yeah, brother exactly. he was the only one that like told all those insider hollywood stories mm. but Oh man. oh man great track yeah. though before yeah. we get to a- uh we got to talk about eddie murphy's music career oh yeah some of his collaborations <laughs> you were sharing uh what was the track the michael jackson track that he was on was up with you one word oh my god that that video <sighs> so bad something else well the, the whole thing about i mean party all the time he was which is kind of a jam it's kind of a jam uh rick james all about it uh all over i think he produced it or something yeah yeah but, i, I um, definitely mm-hmm. produced it it's uh i remember seeing this thing it was like some interview with eddie Mur- i was like why are you coming out with music and he was like look if it fails i'll make fun of it later i'm a comedian so like it it's it's a win-win for me but i think in reality it's like he was a megastar and could seriously do no wrong at that point and he was like I, I don't know i'll come out with music i know all these like cool music people like why not and uh i mean like more power to the guy because his music's not terrible it's just like 
he himself doing it is so silly i think i I think that there's there's a weird thing when somebody becomes even though i was just talking about how this film is like a star turn in a way that most uh comedians i don't think ever achieve in that this is not a starring role in like a comic role this is like a this is movie star role uh but you know it's the same thing with i guess a lot of like movie stars is that if you're hanging around with huge musicians there's a fucking cachet with that yeah where say like you're at a club and a woman comes up to like a famous like rick james it's like different than if you come up to like somebody that was on snl yeah it's like tell me a joke or something it's like how fucking sick of that could you be it's like i just want to like nobody asks fucking rick james to like sing a song or like it's like rick james is you know if you're Eddie Murphy, even though I guess at this point, I think everything's different. But at the time, it's like, would you rather be a fucking cool, like musician, top of the charts, producing all the shit, or like the guy that like is like, you know, kind of a clown to some people? Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I think that there's that kind of like weird existential thing. There's there's that old adage. It's like every rock star wishes they were a comedian and every comedian wishes they were a rock star. Like yeah, that's yeah, the, yeah. that's, it's the, uh, grass is always greener. <laughs> mm, it's really yeah. fucking weird. His style in that music video too. He's got that like white tank top tucked into the skinny black jeans <laughs> yeah, with no belt. Baby. Yeah, yeah, baby. What a look. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he, he collabed with, uh, Michael Jackson quite a bit. I mean, it just, I as much as he like made fun of Michael, you know, in his stand-up, they yeah. were saying that like he made he, fun of Michael, but he also dressed like Michael. Also, yeah, we, were, we were talking him. about in this film. There's like so. a couple of times where there's people like dressed like uh, Thriller Michael, right? And, yeah. Or is that not? Th- yeah, that's Thriller, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird to like look back at a time where one person's jacket in one music video could reverberate through movies and film and like so much where. I just feel like uh, media right now is so fragmented that, that nothing like hits that level. Yeah. Same with uh, like his style and bad. Um, I feel like it's just influence. Uh, people still kind of rock that look. Yeah. All the leather. <laughs> is that <laughs> black? <laughs> like the buckles. Yeah. yeah. All the buckles. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny to me too. Um, if you've gone back and watched raw or delirious, mm-hmm. uh, delirious specifically, uh i mean like the first 15 minutes of that is like hate speech against like gay people uh like it's and and he's apologized he's he's talked about like he's he's uh very ignorant uh, is what he said but he's wearing a fucking skin tight leather jumpsuit and then talking like talking about how silly gay people are and you're like dude what (laughs) what the hell's going on uh, yeah that was cognitive dissonance 70s and like early 80s like it was so crazy you think about the the dan ross like uh you know when the chic guys were writing i'm coming out for her mm-hmm. and they just kind of like lied to her about what it was about yeah and she's like oh yeah and it's like she got pissed about it later but it's like you're like living in the disco era yeah like look at look around like who do you think you're you're partying with like what the <laughs> fuck do you think is going on here I, okay. I don't know it's I'm, I'm glad that we live in more enlightened times <laughs> guys that is the soundtrack to beverly hills hey, yeah, hey. i almost said ninja <laughs> <laughs> different soundtrack different soundtrack thank you guys for listening along with me this is a personal favorite but before we get to recommendations we do have to rate and review uh, maybe we should rate out of uh, 15 German bearer bonds. I think I like which that. Which we all know right. is 
one of the most luxurious, luxurious, I don't even know what to call it. It's a, it's a, it's what you get in your crates of dirty art, I guess. Uh, Chris, do you want to start off? You got Dogecoin, you got uh, bear <laughs> Deutsch bonds. You got yeah. Ethereum, and you got your bear bonds. Yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> Invest. That's a for another podcast. Yeah. I had to Google it because I was like, I remember this so clearly, and I was like, they're like, it's untraceable. And I was like, that can't be. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's known as being untraceable. <laughs> Interesting. There's a lot of untraceable stuff in the 80s, man. <laughs> Um, no right. cell phones. No cell phones. <laughs> just, just ask Eddie Murphy. Oh my God, a lot of it untraceable. Zero to fifteen, bare bones. Um, also your uh, favorite and least favorite tracks, if you ooh, don't mind. Yeah, favorite song. Favorite song's gotta be. I gotta go. Axel F by Harold Faltemeyer. I mean, bad it's, choice. It's a, uh, it's a good song. I Googled it. Uh, I remember not knowing what it was from when I was like in eighth grade. Wow. I couldn't figure it out. I was like, it's that 80 songs goes dun, dun, dun. And then, you know, put on my Winamp for years, listen to it. It's a great <laughs> solo song to listen to. What was your uh, Winamp skin of choice? Oh, man. It was like some industrial stuff, like steampunky. I think <laughs> I had like some anime oh, skins. Some nice. like Ghost what? in the Shell. Dragon Ball Z skins. Like I don't know you guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's your uh, least favorite track? Least favorite song? Um, I think, I think I gotta go, uh, Rocky Robbins emergency. Sorry, Rocky. Mm. Uh, better luck next time or <laughs> time will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> Not sure there will be a next time with Rocky. Robbins yeah. Anyway. yeah. I gotta say it. Rocky Robbins, uh, emergency, uh, overall rating 13.6. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Okay. Right. Give me the eyes. Yeah, Nikki, why don't you go next? Favorite track, least favorite track. Least favorite track I'm going to say is Rock and Roll Me Again by The System. Yeah. Love The System. You so love much the great system. music, man. Yeah. Don't Disturb This Groove. Their album Sweat from 1982. Classic. Yeah. Classic synth programming. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say my favorite track is New Attitude by Patti LaBelle. Yeah. Ooh. Great, great track. Both those Patti LaBelle songs are really good. Yeah. And um, for the rating, I'm going to say. 13.5 bear okay. bonds okay. german bear bonds i want to give it a 14 but i'm that uh that system track i'm gonna have to knock it a few bonds mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. all right very good bring idea. us home caleb um yeah i my least favorite track i'm glad that you picked the system because my pick is a system and uh knowing how much you love them i was like a little bit worried that i might get some looks across the table when i picked oh, man, it's a bad track well, it's it a bad track it doesn't fit the album it wasn't in the movie um I'm my favorite. I gotta pick Axel F. It's so hack. It's so hack. It's such a fucking jam. <laughs> no, and it's a like, jam. Uh, it's, you know, there, there are a lot of times when there'll be score on a soundtrack that we're reviewing and it's like in the movie or it's in the movie a lot. And we're like, eh, this is fucking a great song. And uh, we're, we're like knocking the soundtrack for a lot of the songs not being in the movie. Most of the movie is just uh, variations of the Axel F track, and it works, it and works. it's great. It's iconic. It's been covered and, also. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, so many times. It's a fucking jam. It's uh, iconic. It I cannot played in the discos at the time as a solo in track. The disco, in the discos. In the discos. In the discotheques. In the discotheques. Studio uh, 54. That being said, like, there's, uh, there's some songs in here I'm a little iffy about. There's some songs that I love but weren't even in the movie, which is, like, kind of a bummer. I got to give this 12 German bear bonds. 
All right. Okay. okay. Very uh, good. Very, very good. good. Yeah. yeah, great pick, Caleb. Thank you. Uh, before we go, we are going to add a recommendation to the Tracklist in Spotify playlist um, in honor of Edward Murphy, one of our favorite <laughs> songs by actors. Edward Murphy. <laughs> you don't no think it's that. Edward? <laughs> Edwin. Edwin. Oh, this is like Ed, Eagles the Eagles. Edward yeah. Murphy. Uh, Thomas right. Cruz, Vincent Diesel. <laughs> yes. I love saying the full names of actors. <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, if you guys don't mind that I lead off, this is uh, a track by an actor. This is from 2009 um, off of an album called Witch Hazel. You guys know what I'm going to talk okay. about. So glad. Uh, this is a, this is a track that I turned you guys on to a little bit of a go. So it might not be a surprise to you, but uh, hopefully the listeners haven't heard this before. Uh, the actor is a man named Matt Berry, uh, an a- English actor, comedian who I love uh, so much. From he was uh, in Mighty Boosh, uh, <laughs> the It Crowd, IT Crowd, uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and Mighty Boosh. What uh, we do in the shadows. Yeah, f- for oh, me, yeah. Uh, I think that probably my favorite comedy, scripted comedy that is uh, currently running is What We Do in the Shadows. Uh, and he plays uh what what is the actor he plays uh laszlo cravensworth yeah oh jackie yeah, daytona i was gonna say i always uh i think my favorite uh, turn for him is jackie daytona <laughs> american barkeeper uh but so uh the track okay this is uh hilarious in that i heard this song and i was like uh the song is fucking great and i was like matt berry that can't be that can't be. That can't be. <laughs> it is. Not. It is so. Uh, <laughs> it is so. It is uh, a track by Matt Berry. He actually recorded like quite a. He's done several albums. Um, this is a song called "Take My Hand," which he used as uh, the theme song to uh, one of his uh, his series, a British series London. called "Toast of London," yeah. which I'm not a huge fan of, but no, I'm a he- I am a huge fan of the song <laughs> "Take My Hand." Uh, take it away, Nikki. Yeah, man, Matthew Perry. This is a yeah. song that uh, this is a song that I would love if it was recorded by uh, Charles Manson, but it is recorded by an actor <laughs> that I really, really like his work, and I think he's hilarious, and I think the song's a jam. Uh, the song's awesome, and yeah, thank you for introducing. I don't know how that slipped <laughs> it, me. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. Yeah, it's true. How how uh, good those songs are. Yeah. If you guys, if you guys know Matt Berry, if you guys watch what we do in the shadows, and you hadn't heard this song, then uh, please hit me up on Instagram, uh, Tracklisting Pod, because this is uh, it, it gives me so much joy that that guy made this song. Witch Hazel. Witch Hazel. Yeah, gotta find Witch Hazel. Who wants to go <laughs> next? <laughs> All right, Chris, what do you got for us? Uh, I've got uh, a song from 1986. Um, it's by one of my favorite human beings uh, on the planet, uh, Mr. Jackie Chan, yeah. uh, who has a uh, has an incredible career uh, as an actor, martial artist, and uh, in China, he's, he's a huge singer and always has been. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know about this. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I've kind of tried to um, 
dip into some of his work and it's not it's not for me <laughs> but uh he has a song from his uh 86 album um which was entitled sing lung and the song i think uh the name of it encapsulates who he is as a man uh the song is called iron man soft feelings so let's uh <laughs> let's hear that <laughs> all right 1986 yeah yeah and um sounds so current (laughs) (laughs) he's uh you know because at heart he he is a soft man with soft feelings but um he's his mortal coil is uh made of stone and he's able to just break necks and you know (laughs) rip out throats and stuff like that but he he never wants any trouble you know that's the thing about jackie chan but yeah i think there is a there is a bit of a connection with jackie chan and uh eddie murphy in that uh eddie murphy was uh first tapped for rush hour and he turned it down to do a movie called holy man and then yeah not a success (laughs) Uh, and then chris tucker uh, obviously replaced uh eddie murphy but i think i feel like if if eddie murphy had done rush hour it would have just been like beverly hills cop with Jackie Chan. You know what I mean? Which I would love. Which I would love too. Yeah. I would oh, yeah. love it too. But anyway. All right, Nikki. Thank do you, you Chris. Have a, thank, thank you, you Jack. Thank you, Jackie. Yes. Uh, Nikki, do you have a pick for us? I've got a pick for us. This is a song from the actor H. John Benjamin. You yeah. guys know John Benjamin? Oh, yeah. Coach Bob's McGurk. Burgers. Coach McGurk. Archer. Archer. Yeah. Archer. One of my favorites. Oh, yeah. For me, it's always McGurk. McGurk. Uh, he had a foray into Brendan. Uh, yeah, Brendan. <laughs> he had a foray into uh, jazz music for some reason. And uh, let's let's listen to this, and then we'll talk this thing about is it. So funny. Yeah. You should say what is what is the uh, the moniker that he records under here? He goes by Jazz Daredevil. There we go. And this is the album. <laughs> well, I should have from 2015. This is track number two off that album. This is I Can't Play Piano Part One. get the idea i think john benjamin had the brilliant idea of hiring a uh, professional jazz band to back him so basically this album is like my nightmare from music school like come to life because like you know jazz improv was something that i never excelled at and still don't and i would always have this like recurring dream while i was in school that we would be like trading fours in a song and it would cut to me (laughs) 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 you know he made this album it's uh pretty funny there were like some uh 
you know, comedian guests on the album and he like did the TV circuit for it. He went on Colbert and like sat in with like John Batiste or whatever and like, you know, played this music. And I mean, he's usually dressed in like an evil Knievel. And I love his moniker, Jazz Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. Well, was it you that was telling me like the band that he hired like didn't get what he was going they for? They didn't get yeah. the prompt. So they're yeah. like in the studio and they have like their uh, lead sheet or whatever. Yeah. And it like cuts to him and they're like, what the f? Yeah. Like, they, and they were like, <laughs> sounds okay for it. You're like, oh, it's like Thelonious Monk for a second. Yeah. Like maybe yeah. it's really heady and I'm not. Yeah. Oh, man. Like he was like bluffing with how much yeah. jazz he knew. But like, yeah. I would have left him in like a music critic and trying to like figure out what this album was because they don't know who John Benjamin is. Well, they were like, maybe you should practice a bit before. And he's like, you don't get what I'm doing. <laughs> you don't understand what I'm going for. Such right? a daredevil. I'm making fun of your life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you, John Benjamin, for all yeah, the amazing that's work. That's fucking hilarious. Oh, man. Yeah. Those are three great recommendations. I would say you should check out the uh, album, but I think you, you probably get it right there. You get the idea. Yeah, you don't need to, I mean, buy it, support him, but yeah, you don't that, need to listen to it. That's going to be a real funny one in the playlist if you get it on the random. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to put that on there if you don't want to. No, but, put it on it there. gets into like, I can't play piano part four, trill, baby, trill, and <laughs> soft jazzercise. It had to be you, which is a nice little joke. It's so great because it's like, he he went through with it. You know what I mean? Did the full album. Yeah, the full <laughs> played, album. Played jazz for an entire hour. I think that they did, didn't he do another album? I think I saw. Yeah, he, he did, did, a, he did, he did a, follow a follow up. How many streams would you say? Would you guys guess that I can't play piano part one that we just heard has on Spotify? I, don't, I have no idea. A million? I, I would say maybe 40,000. I can't play piano part one has 519,068 <laughs> plays. Nice. Just, nice. Uh, Good on you, one, one Spotify crypto dollar. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, all, right. all good picks. Good picks. And a uh, good episode. That was fun, guys. Yeah, that's that was a great, great episode. Great time. Yeah, thank you, Caleb. Excellent pick. And uh, for our next episode, I think we have a special treat uh, from one of our listeners. Yeah, that's right. I think, um, you know, we just have been sitting around without enough to do. We have these hands that need to be put to use. <laughs> okay, Chris. What, <laughs> so, Idle uh, hands are the devil's playground. Uh, kind of, uh, for some of our longtime listeners, our White Whale has been the uh, the Idle Hand soundtrack. A soundtrack that we, a movie that I've never seen. Mm. I'll say it right uh, now. Yeah. Mm. I've got and it on DVD somewhere. a soundtrack that I am not familiar with. But it's something that we've been trying to put our hands on for a while. And our friends over at the uh, So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank podcast a podcast devoted to Gross Point Blank, which is a movie that I fucking love and a movie that we've already devoted an episode to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a second one in the future. But uh, they uh, have somehow procured this. It's uh, so hard to find. I'm yeah. so impressed. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. So <laughs> Blake. Thanks, Blake. <laughs> so anyways, uh, yeah, apparently, I guess in maybe two weeks from now, hopefully you guys will be listening to the soundtrack that we've always wanted to review. Yes. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we wanted to do it for Halloween, but we might just go ahead and do it for uh, the next episode. I think Halloween should have going off book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. We're hoping everyone's staying safe. Anything else you guys want to say before we go? See you in hell, motherfuckers. <laughs> we love you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.